0: the opposite. In fact, he does say exactly the opposite of the title of my book. He says, man does not live, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I actually had to argue with my publisher to be allowed to title my book this way because they were very worried that uh, it would ruin their good reputation if a book was kind of on a shelf with their title on it that clearly said the exact opposite of what the verse in scripture says. And so I promised them that it would just create enough intrigue that people would have to look inside and see how a trusted Christian publisher uh, could say buy bread alone when the verse so clearly says we do not live by bread alone. Of course, I'm going to share with you why I do think, actually, the side bread alone is a really important way to think of bread because I think that Jesus is actually making a really fun play on words here. And our reading in the Gospel of John helps us to understand a little bit more clearly. After 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, the tempter comes to Jesus and he tells him, hey, you should turn these stones into bread. If you're looking pretty hungry. You have the power to do this. Here are some stones. Turn them into bread. Jesus responds, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's tempting to read this line and to think that Jesus is somehow above any kind of physical need, that he is capable of living off of his deep spiritual communion with God. After all, he just managed to make it 40 days in the desert without any food, and he still manages to say no to turning these stones into bread. Maybe it's easy for you to think, dang, Adam and Eve really could have used that kind of self-control in the garden. Maybe it's even easier to think, maybe I should maintain that kind of self-control in my own relationship to food. But to think that Jesus is somehow pitting something tangible against something spiritual, and saying that the tangible thing, the matter, the bread, somehow matters less, is to misunderstand what it is that he's doing here. What he's actually doing is making a delightful play on words that shows just how important the material, materiality around us is. The Gospel of John opens with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word who was with God in the beginning. And in John 6, as we read this morning, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not because our words or our thoughts or our beliefs are somehow superior, or because bread is somehow less necessary to our daily existence, but because Jesus himself is both. The word and the bread. Jesus is the word that proceeds from the mouth of God and the bread that we take into our own mouths so that we can know God on our tongues and in our bellies when our own hunger and our loneliness and our unmet longings are too deep to be captured in words. When we cannot feel God, when we cannot understand God, when we cannot put language to the questions or the fears that plague us, God still makes God's self known to us in the tangible form of bread. God is present with us, filling us, transforming us in the bread with a capital B that we share at the communion table every week, as well as the bread with a lowercase b, our daily bread that we bake and break with the communities that care for us and that remind us of God's love. I wish that I could go back and tell young five-year-old me that I should not have been ashamed of that hunger for that little, tiny, plastic container of bread. I wish I could tell her that that hunger would actually shape my entire life. At the time, I saw that hunger as akin to the hunger of Adam and Eve yearning for the forbidden fruit. Throughout my childhood and my teenage years and my college years, I was terrified of my love of food and my desire to enjoy food. But the truth is, that hunger was not something I needed to be afraid of, because it was through that hunger that God drew me in. And it's been through my relationship to bread, in community, that God continues to make himself known to me. Now, again, I can already hear some possible objections, What about those who are gluten-free? What about those for whom bread is a source of extreme pain? What about those with disordered relationships to eating, who do not experience the goodness of food, who do not experience the goodness of hunger? What about those who hunger because they do not have access to adequate food? Our relationship to food is complicated, to say the least. And to pretend that food is always something that draws us into relationship with God is to overlook reality. And it's also to overlook the ways that bread is present throughout the story of scripture. So to answer these many objections, I want us to return once again to Genesis 1 through 3. In these earliest chapters of Genesis, God created humans with two basic needs. The need to draw nutrition and energy from food and the need to share our lives with other humans. The only thing that God did not call good about creation was a human being alone. Now we could have been made with skin that could convert energy from the sun. We could have been made with feet that could draw nutrients out of the soil. But instead of chlorophyll or root systems, we got taste beds and we got tables. Our joint need for food and for community are met at the same time when we gather around the table with others. So eating and sharing food with others has, from the very beginning of creation, been a way of delighting in the good gifts of God, as well as living into the fullness of what it means to be human. But, of course, in the story of Genesis 3, as we saw from the very beginning today, This gift of food is also a gift that has gone awry. The Orthodox priest Alexander Schmemann says that the fruit of that tree was food whose eating was condemned to be communion with itself alone and not with God. It is the image of the world loved for itself and eating it is the image of life understood as an end in itself. Schmemann says that the original sin that took place that day was a ceasing to hunger after God and God alone. It was a ceasing to see every single aspect of life as a sacrament of communion with God. It's not our hunger or our desire to delight in food that is wrong, but that our hunger and our desire for these delicious gifts ought to guide us into communion with God and care for one another, for our own bodies, and for creation. And when we cease to the ability of these tangible gifts to guide us into relationship with our creator that's when things begin to go awry like william rubel who saw bread as both a blessing and curse on humanity food and eating mark at once the goodness of god's creation as well as the reality that creation is not as it's meant to be We experience the deep brokenness of creation and relationship to food in so many different forms. Some of us in allergies, some in lack of access to adequate food, in environmental degradation in the dehumanization of farmhands and factory workers. Food is a constant reminder that creation is not as it's meant to be. And yet it is still through food that that God marks God's redemption as well. It's through food that God reconciles us in relationship to one another. It's through food that God heals our relationships to our own bodies. And it's through food that God draws us into relationship with God. Bread itself offers us a framework for understanding how we can live in the face of these tensions. Those amino acids that uncoil as soon as the water touches the wheat are called glutenin and gliadin. Now these two amino acids have opposing qualities. One of them likes to stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch. It's called the elastic quality. The other one likes to hold its shape. It's called the plastic quality. And as these two amino acids begin to form bonds with one another, they begin to develop a network of, of proteins. And that as those bonds form, a tension builds between those two opposing qualities. And the tension that's built between those two opposing qualities allows this network to capture carbon dioxide gas and then grow into the beautiful loaf of bread that we eat. It's in the tension between these seemingly opposite truths that we can see the hand of God at work every single time we eat. Our hunger is not something that we need to be afraid of, but something that can guide us into relationship with God. The God who fills us the God who transforms us, the God who makes himself known to us in the baking and the breaking of bread. Would you pray with me? God, as we move forward in our day, um, moving both to these two tables, to the communion table and to the potluck table downstairs, I pray that you will remind us again and again of the ways that you make yourself known to us in the bread, the bread that we break at the altar and the daily bread that we eat every single day. I pray that you will show us both um, the, the reality of this present brokenness and also your promise to heal as we gather at the table and eat and remember your presence and your promise and your closeness with us. Amen.